0: Good morning, everyone. Welcome to worship this morning on this Palm Sunday as we begin our journey into Holy Week. May we all journey well. At this time, I invite you to stand up and greet one another with the peace of Christ.
1: Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Let Israel say, His love endures forever. sings my soul. to the
2: Good morning, everybody for those of us that got to stay in town we got a nice sunny morning at least this morning so that's good good to see everybody Uh, A couple quick things before we move into a time of prayer. First, just a a general thank you and an appreciation for all you guys give with your time and your your finances and everything here at Heart Awake. Uh, We're just very grateful uh, as a staff and as ministry partners with you guys and all we do here. So just a quick thank you in that regard. Uh, Also today, we're going to do things a little bit different. We don't have Sunday school classes downstairs. So instead of our normal send-off to the children, we get the opportunity to keep them in the service with us today. But kids is we still need to do that blessing with you guys because we would love to give you that blessing and we need to get that blessing back from you. Okay, kids? So now you're scattered around the congregation here a little bit, so you're going to have to speak up nice and loud. Okay, adults, we're going to need you to bring the energy to kick things off. And then students, kids, we need you guys to bring it back with us because we really need this blessing this morning from you guys. Okay? We agreed? All right, adults with me. Here we go. The Lord be with you. Well done, well done. We appreciate that. Thanks, kiddos. All right. We are going to move right into a time of prayer. So if you would bow your heads with me, we're going to begin with a few verses from Psalm 62. Let's pray. Truly my soul finds rest in God. My salvation comes from him. Truly he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will never be shaken. Lord, thank you for joining us here today. Thanks for being a God that is present with us now and throughout the rest of the week as well. Thank you for that that reassurance. We pray today that we feel that presence, Lord. We pray that we're attuned to it in a way that's unmistakable and empowering to us to know that the God of the universe is here, residing with us today and throughout our week. Lord, as many of us move into spring break week, we ask for rest. So many of us have lives that are so busy and today and throughout this week, we ask for rest. Rest for our hearts, for our minds, for our bodies. Help us to make room for rest, for fun, and for community with our friends and family, whether we're here, traveling, or in other places. Please protect, and, uh, please protect those that are traveling, Lord, and be with them as they're on the move. Please grant safety to all of our community as we branch out across the country or we stay here and enjoy our time together here today. And Lord, although this, spring break, this is spring break week for many, we also know that more importantly, this is holy week and a week that we celebrate your sacrifice on the cross and your resurrection from the grave. Grant us a new and fresh perspective. Grant us awe and gratitude for what you did and what this week really means for both our lives now and for our lives in eternity. Help us to not take this week for granted, Lord, but instead lead us, carry us down the long path to the cross, And beyond to the glory of the empty tomb lord you're a god of power we pray for a taste of that lord grant us that power that we need this week to work through those things that we feel like we can't work through on our own we ask for your power and healing lord there are so many in our community that are desperately in need of your healing touch we ask for the power of self-control we ask for those we ask for those times when they arise and when we need your help, that we can keep ourselves from doing things and saying things that are not glorifying to you. We ask for that help, Lord. And we ask for the power of joy. We don't often think of joy as something that's related to power, but the truth of the matter is there's little in this world that can change things like a joyful noise can. Grant us joy, Lord, and the ability to bring that to others as we're having a hard, if we're having a hard time or if others are having a hard time finding it right now. Lord, thank you for this time together today. We pray for Pastor JB and we ask for his, that his words are your words. And we ask that your words touch our hearts in just the way we need them to today, Lord. Amen.
3: Thank you, Nate. There we go. And thank you, students, boys and girls, for that energetic blessing. Um, you are a gift and I hope you know that. Um, good morning. Good morning, good morning. It is good to be together on uh, this Palm Sunday, kind of the first Sunday of spring break for some, and um, praise God for some sunshine. Real quick, um, speaking of spring break, speaking of school, just draw your attention to a a thing that we're doing, partnering with area churches. We love our schools campaign. Uh, in, In your bulletin, there's um, an announcement, there's a slide up there. We love our schools, partnering with dozens of other local churches to bless dozens of our schools and teachers and staff, and so we're accepting some donations uh, to, to pr- provide uh, care baskets uh, for Lakeshore Elementary and Harbor Lights. Those are our Kids Hope partner schools, and so just want to draw your attention there. Uh, also, uh, it's been mentioned multiple times, it's Palm Sunday. Next week is Easter Sunday, which makes this Holy Week, uh, which, is really, which is really a journey, a journey toward Easter. And, 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 and all elements of that journey are incredibly important. And so, not only do we celebrate the empty tomb, as, as Nate prayed, as Sarah reminded us, uh, but we also rec- remember the cross. And, and both of those pieces are important to remember and lean into on this journey. We don't wanna just skip ahead to the empty tomb and forget what Jesus endured on our behalf because of his love, his great love for us. And so uh, we have a Maundy Thursday. We pray and encourage you to make that part of your remembrance, your journey uh, here in this space, Thursday night, 7 p.m. Uh, it'll be a, a kind of similar that we've had in, in years past. We're gonna, we're gonna read through the story of that, the passion of Jesus Christ. There's lights, there'll be communion. Just encourage you to make that part of your journey this week and um, Those watching online, it will be online as well. So those spring breakers, I'm talking to you in Florida, uh, come join us uh, virtually as well. Uh, But let's jump back into our series, jump right in. If you remember, since September, we've been working through the grand narrative of Scripture using this cool resource that takes NIV texts along with cool, nice, neat summaries that puts the, the text of the Scripture, the story of Scripture in chronological order. After 21 weeks in what we call the Old Testament or the Hebrew Bible, uh, beginning in March, we stepped into the the story of Jesus Christ, right, as told uh, through the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And if you remember, we kind of stepped away from the stories, organization of the story. Instead, in March, we looked at each of the four Gospels. We took a week looking at each of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And and, and remember that each of them kind of give different perspectives and emphasis of, of the one account, the one historical life and ministry of Jesus. Christ. We talked a little bit about how they were distinct and, and how we had, they had some of those different emphases. Are you with me? Uh, but without question, all four have a very specific purpose, which is to share kind of the culmination of Jesus' ministry, which, which is this week, the last week of Jesus' life. The, the culmination is his, his, his death and his resurrection from the grave. This is the good news. Amen. That is good news. Uh, Just for some perspective, uh, each of the four Gospels, drastically and dramatically, the story slows down the moment they get to this final week of Jesus' life. Just for some comparison, Matthew, 8 of the 28 chapters of Matthew, 6 of the 16 chapters in Mark, 6 of the 24 chapters in Luke, and 10 of John's 21 chapters are devoted to retelling the events of Jesus' final week in his earthly ministry so anywhere between a quarter and a half of the gospels are devoted to this final week of Jesus life pretty significant right and the church calendar and where we're at in the story just happen to match and line up today it's almost as if we planned that We kind of did, yeah, yeah. So so we enter the story here at the final week of Jesus' life, and it is Palm Sunday where we remember the final week of Jesus' life. If you remember Palm Sunday, we commemorate, we remember the triumphal entry when Jesus rode into Jerusalem riding on a donkey colt uh, to shouts of Hosanna, which literally just means save us, right? And then the same week, it ended with Jesus humiliatingly and brutally being beaten and tortured and dying on a cross. Such a stark contrast from Palm Sunday to Good Friday. And it begs the question, how did did things so dramatically change in just one week? What what happened? Now, we can point to certain events and actions that Jesus took that precipitated this change. Primarily, it was the clearing of the temple that really started things moving, Um, But this morning what I want to do is explore another perspective. What happened in this final week of Jesus' life through the perspective of Jesus' closest friends, his disciples? Now to explore that question and that idea, we're going to enter the story when something changed in the heart of Judas as told through the perspective of the, in the, of the gospel writer of Mark. In fact, this week we're going to be camped out primarily in Mark's account of this final week. And so I invite you to turn with me uh, to Mark chapter 14. We'll be reading verses 10 through 21 this morning. If you're willing, if you're able, I'd invite you to stand as we hear God speak to us this morning. Mark 14, verse 10. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the 12, went to the chief priests to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. So he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked him, where do you want us to go and make preparations for you to eat the Passover? So he sent two of his disciples telling them, go into the city and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you, follow him. Say to the owner of the house he enters, the teacher asks, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room of stairs furnished and ready, make preparations for us there. The disciples left, went into the city and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. When evening came, Jesus arrived with the twelve. While they were reclining at the table eating, he said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They were saddened, and one by one they said to him, Surely you don't mean me. It is one of the twelve, he replied, one who dips bread into the bowl with me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him, but woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Join me in a word of prayer. Lord God, we thank you for these words. Holy Spirit, that you have preserved that you helped bring together through Mark. We thank you for the words of your scriptures which give us light to see, your words which, which help us see ourselves more clearly. And, and God we pray that as, as we remember the events of this final week of your ministry here on earth, Lord Jesus, that spirit you would, you would stir in us, to bring comfort where we need comfort, but Lord, to bring challenge where we need challenge. That your word might be a mirror revealing our hearts to ourselves. We pray this in Christ's name. God's people say together, amen. I've mentioned this several times. I grew up in the village of Brown Deer, Wisconsin. That is a weird name for a city. It is a suburb of Milwaukee, Brown Deer. We're very descriptive there. It's right next to Green Grass. You know, I don't know. Anyway, I kind of make fun of it a little bit, but it's a, it was a wonderful place to live. Grateful for for that 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 suburb of Milwaukee that I grew up in. And there's some pictures of me. That's at the old Johnson Park, the mini golf. Right by the way, on the, uh, the picture on the left, I'm the one on the left who looks a little sad. A uh, little background of that picture. I just discovered uh, right before that picture was taken that. Uh, It's actually the lowest score that wins in putt putt golf. Uh, I thought I was just beating everyone pretty bad, Uh, so I was a little. Anyway, Um, but that's that's a picture of me back in uh, Brown Deer, Wisconsin. And um, to be honest, maybe this is just my my perspective. But as I think about my childhood, I was I was one who didn't get into trouble all that much. Like I I think of myself, I I I was a pretty good kid. In fact, uh, when I was growing up, I I hated to get in trouble. I, I mean, I just I hated the thought of of getting into trouble. And as I think about that as an adult, like what does that mean to, to get into trouble? I'm not, I'm not sure, but whatever it meant, I was, it would terrified me. I hated getting in trouble. So I can distinctly remember a couple of the instances when, when I got in a little more serious trouble. Certainly I got in, 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 a, lot of, in a lot of trouble in, at home and stuff, but at school there were a couple of instances where I got in more serious trouble. And the first one has to do with, with riding the school bus. So there's a little picture of me riding the school bus. I remember when I was a kid in elementary school, Getting written up. Is that still a thing? Does, this, does the bus drivers write people? I'm getting a head nod. You can get written up. And if you got written up on the school bus, you got sent to the principal's office. And so if you can, if you can just imagine for a moment, when I was a kid, I was a pretty social kid. Uh, hard to believe, uh, right? Right. But I would regularly socialize on the bus, which which included kind of just talking to people and and kind of moving around the bus. Now, that's kind of frowned upon, especially by bus drivers. So one day on the way to school, the bus driver saw me kind of walking around the bus and gave me a warning and said, Hey, Wernland, he probably didn't didn't call me Wernland, but you got to quit standing on the bus. You stand up one more time and you are getting written up. Like fear of God, like I was just so terrified of this, so I went back home the next day, and truth be told, I, I found one of those wristbands, you know you had like the headband, and then you had like the old school kind of wristbands, and I had this white wristband, and on the wristband in permanent marker, I wrote on the wristband, "Sit down <laughs> <laughs> and then I wrote an arrow to like point to like to remind me like sit down with an arrow pointing down now. That could be a catch-22 because maybe the arrow's pointing up. I don't know. Anyway, so I wrote and I wore this on the school bus to remind me to sit down because I was terrified of getting written up. And guess what? It worked for like a day, you know. And like maybe it worked for like a day or two, but but then it happened. I'm on the bus and I I stand up and all of a sudden I hear the bus driver call out, you know, Wernland or Jay Barrett or kid, I don't know. And he says, that's it, I'm writing you up you're going to the principal's office. And I just remember like f- sitting, like falling down in the bus seat and I just start crying because I'm going to the principal's office. And that same moment, all the other kids who'd been written up multiple times come around me and they're like, hey man, it's not that bad. It's not a big deal. And they're trying to comfort me and I'm just crying because I'm so ashamed and I'm so devastated that I just got written up. This morning, we, we step into one of the stories because as a kid, I didn't want to be seen as a bad kid, right? As a kid who went to the principal's office, this morning we step into the story of the ultimate bad kid or bad guy of really, think about it, human history, Judas, even the name Judas has has become notorious, right? Synonymous with, with betrayal. Quick poll, how many of you have ever met anyone named Judas? I'm glad no one raised their hand because I was really counting on that. Because like, people don't name their kids Judas, right? Because Judas means like, betrayal, like it's just become notorious in our like you see we don't meet people named Judas, even though the name was once common. At one point in human history we'll talk about that. This morning what I want to do is just explore Judas a little bit more. And consider some of what may have led him to betray Jesus. We we can't get into the mind of Judas. But maybe just explore maybe what what led Judas to make the decision he decided to make and maybe begin to to maybe, I dare say, humanize Judas a little bit. So let's look at Judas Iscariot. We're, We're reintroduced to Judas Iscariot here in Mark chapter 14, verse 10. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the 12, went to the chief priest to betray Jesus to them. At this point in in Mark's gospel, Judas has only been mentioned one other time, chapter three, when Jesus calls 12 disciples. But even at that point, uh, Mark makes it clear that the one who would betray Jesus, that's how we're introduced to Judas. Clearly, he is most known for what he did at this point in his life. But is there anything we can deduce about why? Let's consider for a moment the circumstances surrounding Judas' betrayal of Jesus. Remember, earlier in the week, Jesus had ridden into Jerusalem to shouts of Hosanna, right? Which literally means, save us. Save us. This is the Messiah, what the people are saying, who's here to save us, to deliver us. The people were viewing Jesus as the promised Messiah, which he was, They were viewing him, though, as the promised Messiah who would deliver them specifically from the rule of Rome. They saw Jesus, the Messiah, as a political figure, right? That he was the Messiah, but his deliverance would deliver them from the the occupation and oppression of the Roman Empire who was was ruling over them. They were in Jerusalem, but they were not free. And they viewed the Messiah as one who would set the people of God free from their political oppressors. But Jesus came to bring a deliverance that was different than the political deliverance that they were hoping for when they were waving those palm branches saying, Hosanna. Now there's some other clues in, in Judas' name itself. Um, this, is, this would have, um, uh, maybe the, the clues of Judas' name clue us to, that maybe this kind of Messiah is what Judas was anticipating or longing for. Uh, first, Judas was a common name in the first century A.D., Why was Judas a common name in the first century A.D. in Jerusalem? Well, Judah, the tribe of Judah, certainly. Uh, But there's another character a couple centuries prior, Judas Maccabeus, who led the Maccabean Revolt, a military revolt in in Jerusalem. And so Judas became a common name at this time because of Judas Maccabeus, a revolutionary. Second, there's a couple theories around the name Iscariot. What does is Iscariot mean? One theory is that Iscariot means Ishkarioth, uh, or Ishkariot, which is uh, from the city of Keriot, which is kind of believed to be a zealot community. So is he from this zealot community of Keriot? The other theory is Iscariot is, is a reference to the Sakari which is a group of Jewish revolutionaries who hid these long sakari knives within their robes to assassinate Roman soldiers. Again, kind of this revolutionary. So could it be that Judas was maybe a zealot? Could it be that Judas is at least influenced by the zealots who believed freedom from Rome would come by violence and by force? And with that perspective, then Judas, think about Judas's perspective. He, sure, Jesus has talked about his death and his resurrection with his disciples, but, you know, that's not really how it's supposed to work. So maybe he kind of wrote that off. But all of a sudden on Palm Sunday, all right, here we go. The Messiah, Jesus, maybe he's the Messiah we're hoping for, that he's going to lead this political revolution. Palm branches, Hosanna. But then as the week continues to transpire, he goes, Jesus then goes to the temple, he clears the temple, and all of a sudden this resistance is mounting from within his own people. And, and then, and then if, you th- if, you, if you go back just a few verses in Mark 14 and how it begins... Right before, when Judas decides to betray Jesus, there's the story of Jesus being anointed in Bethany. This woman breaks open this alabaster jar of perfume, pours it on Jesus, and they're like, why are you wasting all this perfume? You remember what Jesus says? He says, she's done something beautiful, and he references, like, she's anointing me for my burial, right? Now he's talking about dying again, and it's that moment, right after that, that we read verse 10 that Judas decides to betray Jesus to the chief priests. As we begin to consider why maybe Judas betrays Jesus, does it have something to do with unmet expectations that Jesus was not who Judas had hoped and thought he was? This brings us to the moment of Judas betraying Jesus. Let's consider that. The Greek word, uh, for betrayal, is a compound word beginning with para, which uh, means close beside the word parallel lines, right, para. So close beside, uh, paired with uh, this word didomai, which means to give. And so the, this compound word means literally to, to give over or hand over someone who you are, you are close with. It really does mean to betray. Judas hands over his rabbi, his teacher, his lord, over to the chief priests who want to kill Jesus. And in return, Judas receives a sum of money. Matthew's account shares with us that it's 30 pieces of silver. So Judas sells out his lord for a, a fairly decent amount of money, maybe a half year's wages. We, we don't know why Judas betrays Jesus. Mark doesn't offer us uh, any kind of psychoanalysis into his motives or his intent. We can deduce some things. Uh, John's gospel offers some insights that Judas was a thief. He was upset about the waste of expensive perfume. John tells that in John chapter 12. But both Luke and John then mention that, that Satan was at work in Judas. But, it, it is also, but did it also have something to do with the fact that Jesus was not who Judas expected or desired Jesus to be? And, and, I, and I suspect that that's at least part of it. That Jesus was not who Judas thought or wanted Jesus to be. And friends, I, I think this perspective actually lands a little closer, I don't know about you, but to my own heart and my own temptations I cannot help but think that Mark had this in mind, that his reader would consider the same questions his disciples ask when Jesus mentions at the Last Supper. Do you remember what the disciples say? Surely you don't mean me, Lord. When Jesus says, One of you will betray me, all 12 of them, one by one, say, Surely you don't mean me. Each of the disciples are wrestling with this question Could it be me? Could I betray my Lord? Could I sell out Jesus? In fact, in Mark's account, Jesus does not identify Judas specifically. And the reason why, I think, is because I think he wants each of us who are reading or listening to this story to wrestle with the same questions that the disciples were wrestling with in that moment. Could it be me? When Jesus turns out to not be who I want him to be, When Jesus does not move in the way I'm asking him to move, when Jesus does not change my circumstances, fix my problems, or defeat my enemies, how quickly will I turn to my own powers and influences to make things happen in the direction I think they should go? Would I sell out my Lord? You see, as a kid, I I, I hated thinking of myself as a bad kid one of the bad kids or, or a bad guy. The kid who, who always got in trouble. I hated to view myself in that lens. And now as an adult, guess what? Not much has changed. <laughs> I don't want to see myself as a bad guy or see myself as, as Judas. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm much more like one of the other disciples, like like John or, or Peter or James. Well, I got news for you. Maybe it's not news, but they're not all that much better. Jump with me ahead, just a few verses. Mark 14, verses 26 through 31. We read this. When they had sung a hymn, this is at the Last Supper, they then went out to the Mount of Olives, verse 26. At the Mount of Olives, picking up verse 27, Jesus says, You will all fall away, Jesus told them. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter declared, even if all fall away, I will not. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same. It's easy to focus our attention on on Judas and his betrayal, but this morning I also want to focus our attention on the other disciples and Peter more specifically. See, immediately after the Last Supper, the disciples head to the Mount of Olives, this region just outside the city of Jerusalem. uh, And and Jesus had predicted Judas would betray him. Um, But then he turns around after the the Last Supper, he, he turns around and tells the rest of the disciples, You will all fall away. And then Peter says, no, 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 no no way, not me, Lord. And then Jesus says, Peter, you will disown me three times tonight. And and if we're familiar with the story, we see and we, we understand that all of those things that Jesus predicts happen just the way Jesus predicted. Now for Peter and the disciples, again, let's just consider their circumstances and and when these things go down because Peter said he was ready to die for Jesus, right? He just said he was ready to die until the circumstances changed. You see, Peter said he was ready to die until it came time to die. In Mark 14, verse 27, Jesus said to the disciples, They would all fall away. And once Jesus is betrayed and arrested in the garden of Gethsemane, what we read in verse 50 is that all of the disciples deserted him and fled. Verse 50. Peter, on the other hand, he he sticks it out just a little bit longer. Peter, after Jesus is arrested, he follows to where Jesus is being questioned at the home of the high priest, Caiaphas. Caiaphas. He's standing in the courtyard of, of Caiaphas' of home and he's witnessing, we, we perceive he's witnessing this whole thing going down with Jesus being questioned by the high priest. And what he's witnessing is that the whole thing is rigged. Like Jesus isn't fighting back and all the, the odds are stacked against him. And right before G, Peter disowns Jesus, this is what we read happens. And we assume he's witnessing this. Then some began to spit at him. Referring to Jesus, they blindfolded Jesus. They struck him with their fists. They said, prophesy, and the guards took him and beat him. See, friends, the circumstances for Peter have changed. The stakes now at this moment are suddenly higher, a lot higher. Jesus has been arrested, and now his fate seems sealed. Now, to be associated with Jesus at this point means that you might be executed right alongside with him what we read in the story is that Peter, he can't do it. He denies Jesus. More so, he, he disowns Jesus. The Greek word uh, used by Jesus as he predicts Peter's denial actually intensifies the Greek word for to deny, using apo as a, as a prefix. That, that serves to, to intensify this word Deny which means an utter rejection, a disassociation, a disowning. And this is only confirmed when we we consider Peter's own words at the end of Mark chapter 14. The third time he disowns, he denies Jesus. We read this, he began to call down curses and he swore to them, I don't know this man you're talking about. Peter denies, he disowns Jesus. The disciples, they all desert Jesus. They run away in fear. And and if if we really dig down deep, even before Peter, James, and John uh, do all that, they fall asleep in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus asks them to to watch. And all of these examples of denying and disowning and deserting and even falling asleep reveal to us that there are many ways for Jesus' disciples to betray or turn their backs on their Lord. And as I consider that, maybe... For us, we should be slower to judge and quicker to look in the mirror. We return to the same question as before. Surely you don't mean me. Sure, it's easy to stand with Jesus when there's no cost involved, right? But what about when the circumstances change? What happens when when suddenly my own well-being is at risk? Even if it's not our, our physical uh, well-being or physical death, what about, what about my financial well-being? What about when, when standing for Jesus or, or, or living with integrity means I'm not going to take advantage of a customer or a client, and that might actually cost me a sale or cost me a client in the long run? Or what about if when sharing my journey and sharing my my faith in Jesus Christ might cost me my reputation among my peers? Suddenly it begins to cost me something. Will I I run away? Will Will I deny my love for Jesus? Or will I remain firm in my commitment to love Christ and his call to love and look out for my neighbor to live with integrity? Now, these are good, challenging questions to ask and important ones to ask. But what this final week reminds us of, and it's enlightening and and it's frustrating in a weird way, it's, it's almost encouraging. But what this final week of Jesus' life reminds us is at some point, all of us reach our limits and fall away and fail Jesus. All 12 disciples failed Jesus in this final week. All 12 fell away on some level. Judas and Peter's failures were obviously the most egregious. Judas' betrayal, that obviously gets the spotlight, gets most of the attention, is the most egregious. But but you have to understand, Peter's disowning would have also been just as egregious in that context. And we get Judas betraying that cost Jesus his life, but Peter denying Jesus, disowning his rabbi in that context was basically akin to wishing his rabbi dead I don't know you do you remember the story of the lost son when he when he says I want my inheritance and that was akin to wishing his father dead this is kind of on a similar level play, like a level playing field right I don't know you Peter's failure and disowning was just as egregious but here's the thing, as we continue to follow Judas and Peter, what we see is that their stories diverge in drastically different directions. Let's look quickly at their paths. Matthew's gospel shows, shares more about Jesus, Judas's fate. We find out Judas finds out that Jesus was condemned, and the moment that Judas finds out that Jesus would be condemned to death, the scriptures tell us, Matthew tells us, that he was seized with remorse. In fact, the word is repentance in the Greek. He goes to the temple, he tries to return the 30 pieces of silver, he's trying to make things right, and the, and the religious official says, what problem is that of ours? It's not our problem, that's your problem. They turn him away. And the moment when Judas realizes that he cannot make things right, he's overcome with guilt, shame, and he simply gives up on life, and his story ends in deep despair and tragedy. In contrast, Peter also overwhelmed with guilt and shame. He he breaks down and weeps after that rooster crows, right? He, he knows and he realizes what he's done. Later, the resurrected Jesus will appear to him on several occasions, and yet we get to John's gospel in chapter 21, and what do we see? The disciples have returned to Galilee like Jesus told them to do, but what is Peter doing along with some of the other disciples? He's fishing. Now why is Peter fishing? Could it be that, that he, he feels unworthy to be called a disciple of Jesus Christ, so he returns doing the one thing he knows how to do and make a living fishing for fish? But Jesus comes and Jesus meets Peter on the shores of the Sea of Galilee and Peter, once he recognizes him, jumps out of the boat, runs to the shore and we have this beautiful scene of Jesus Christ three different times saying, Peter, do you love me? He says, yes, Lord, I love you. He says, feed my sheep. Three different times, mirroring the three denials, Jesus restores, redeems, and reinstates Peter who is broken in his shame and guilt. See, the only difference between the divergence, maybe I think the only divergence is Judas discovered that he himself could not make it right and he was left in his own despair. But Peter, on the other hand, discovered that only Jesus could make things right. And I wonder if maybe that's the only difference in their divergent paths, that Peter got to encounter Jesus and the redemption and the restoration that comes with this. And friends, as, as, as we close their paths definitely diverge at the end. But where I want to close is, is where their two paths actually converged toward the end. The strange, curious, and beautiful convergence of Peter and Judas's path is found in a story that is sandwiched right between Jesus' prediction of Judas's betrayal and Peter's denial, and tucked right between those predictions come this, these words. While they were eating, Jesus took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take it, this is my body. And then he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. See, on the night Jesus was betrayed, when he instituted this Holy Supper that we are about to partake in together, all 12 of Jesus' disciples joined him in this Holy Supper. That included the 12 disciples who would desert him and run away in fear. That included the disciple Peter who would disown him and say, I never knew the man. And it even included the disciple who would betray him, Judas. Judas all present with Jesus despite where their journeys where their paths would all lead them and diverge here at the table their paths converge before the grace and love of Jesus Christ you see friends as a kid i hated to think of myself as the bad kid who would break the rules who would get sent to the principal's office and now as an adult i still don't like to think of myself as a bad person right But the reality is, in some ways, I am a bad person. I'm a a sinner. I am a broken sinner who cannot save myself, but needs the gracious love and forgiveness of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And friends, at this table, that's the invitation. The invitation is not pretend like we have it all together. It's simply to recognize, you know what? I'm broken I'm lost and I need a savior. I need exactly what Jesus did later on in that week, to die on a cross, to offer forgiveness and healing. That is the invitation of this table. And so friends, as we prepare our hearts to approach this table, the invitation is is to come and to receive the grace of Christ that forgives the sinner, the grace that heals the broken, offers hope for the grieving, and gives life to all who would receive this gift in faith. Let's prepare our hearts to receive this very gift. Will you join me in a word of prayer? Lord God, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you, Lord, that that each of us, Lord, reaches our limit. Lord, each of us is is broken. Lord, each of us cannot do anything to deserve the gift that has been offered, the gift that has been poured out. And you knew that. Which is why, Lord, you rode into Jerusalem on a colt to to bring salvation—not in the way the people expected, not in the people the way people had hoped for, but Lord, in a way that far exceeded expectations, hopes, and imagination. Lord, to deliver us from the curse of sin and death. And so, Lord, this morning, may you prepare our hearts to recognize that that we cannot make it right in our own strength or our own power, but Lord, to, to open our hearts in faith to the grace that you offer today. And Lord, in receiving you by the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord, may we experience a glimpse of life that is to come. I pray all this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Just some brief instructions uh, how we will proceed with communion. We have two stations up front. Uh, We just ask that you come down the side aisles just for order's sake. So come down the side center aisles. uh, Take a piece of bread, take a cup, partake. There's trash bin receptacles on the outside. Make your way back to your seats going around. Uh, Again, just a reminder that, that this is a gift of grace. That uh, we receive it in faith, and so we come just believing. And and sometimes we, we our faith is big and is strong. Sometimes we just have a mustard seed. But but what does God say about a mustard seed of faith that can move mountains? And and, and families are welcome to partake. I know we got kids here, and so children, you you're, you're covenant, you're children of the covenant, so you're welcome to partake as well. Uh, parents, uh, we trust your judgment and discretion there. Um, but as we prepare our hearts, let's remember the events of that final night uh, with Jesus, with his disciples. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And after giving thanks to God, he he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he, he took the cup saying, this cup is a new covenant sealed in my blood shed for you for a forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink of it, do this in remembrance of me. So we come and we receive the gift of grace, remembering that the body of Christ and the blood of Christ was given for a complete forgiveness of all of our sins. Come, for all things are now ready. Invite our servers to come forward first. Bye. song of praise, because this is good news, Um, we come to the table recognizing that we are all broken sinners, and yet that's not what defines us. That's not ultimately who we are. And the image that comes to mind is that parable of the lost son, and when Jesus says, while he was still a long way off, the father saw him, and he ran to him picked him up in his arms. We're broken sinners, but what defines us is that we are children of God. Amen? And we don't have to earn our, our status. No, we are his children. And so as you go from here, go in that identity, that truth of who you are, and receive this blessing. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father Almighty, And the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all now. And forevermore, God's people say, amen. Go in peace.